Let's open our Bibles together to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 5 today as we continue our study in this amazing letter to the church in Corinth. And if you've already seen the outline this morning, you know that the subject today is not a simple one. But we've been brought to this very passage that the sermon series was named after, Strength in Weakness. It's really what chapters 10, 11, and now 12 have been building towards. And the topic of suffering is not one that a lot of churches eagerly want to deal with. But here in this church, our normal pattern is to study book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. And if you do that, you cannot avoid dealing with what God's Word deals with. This is important, friends, because it means God sets the agenda for what we teach here. And we deal with what he deals with in his word. And suffering is a part of that. Last Sunday, we looked at the Apostle Paul sharing his resume, so to speak. And it was not only about his religious heritage, but more profoundly, it was about the suffering that he had endured to this point in his life. And it was quite a list, wasn't it? One statement that Pastor Mark made last Sunday was, for the Christian, suffering is not the exception, it should be the expectation. Jesus himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. That's our baseline if we follow Christ. And if you have no room in your life for the category of suffering, you haven't read your Bible carefully enough because the Bible is very honest about our trials, and suffering. And it clearly makes the point that suffering and following, following Jesus go together. And that should not surprise us because, well, what happened to the Lord Jesus? He suffered and died on a cross. He, he took on flesh to suffer in it and to physically die as the sacrifice for the sins of all who will repent and trust in him for salvation. Maybe today some of you are here and you are in an intense season of suffering. If that's you, I praise God that you're here. Pray you'll be encouraged this morning. See, God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what is best for us. And he has a redemptive and sovereign purpose in every event that takes place in our life, including suffering. So my hope today from this passage is that you and I will understand a little bit more about how God uses suffering in the life of those who follow Christ. Friends, God's got always something to say to us when we open our Bibles. So let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word and look at our passage today. Again, this is 2 Corinthians 12. We begin in verse five. The word of God says this. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. God bless the reading of his word today. Now, in the first six, chap- first six verses of this chapter, Paul explains an amazing vision that God gave him when he was caught up and taken into heaven for a brief time. We looked at most of that last Sunday. But 14 years after that incredible vision, Paul has not said a word about that moment until he mentions it right here. See, if he had wanted to play a trump card that could silence his critics, he could always be talking about that amazing vision and how cool it was that God gave that to him. His missionary journeys could have been a book tour. Heaven, been there, done that by the Apostle Paul. But he didn't do any of that. But what he is doing in verses five and six in our passage today is he's reinforcing his stance that if prideful Paul wanted to win the argument about his apostolic authority, then prideful Paul would share all the gory details and make a big deal about that heavenly trip. And he'd be right about that because it actually happened. But he doesn't do that. So in order to keep his humility in check, He highlights the Christian habit of boasting in weakness. He puts aside his resume, and in our passage today, he focuses on one particular affliction in his own life. (coughs) Excuse me. So what we're going to do this morning is just walk through this particular affliction by asking questions about it. Actually, whenever I look at a passage, I usually, what I, the first thing I do is I jot down questions as I'm reading the passage, questions that I have about it. So I pray that the outline today will be a helpful tool for us to think rightly about how a sovereign God uses suffering in our lives. So the first question is, what did Paul receive? Question number one, what did Paul receive? Look at the middle of verse seven. Look at what it says. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now the word for thorn here can mean a small splinter or a large wooden stake. And either way, a thorn in the flesh is extremely painful, right? Paul's describing a constant affliction in his life that he could not get relief from, nor could he remove from his life. Many years ago, I was on a hunting trip with my brother in Texas, and we were hunting quail. And the dogs were on point, and so as we slowly walked up to the quail that they had spotted, the covey bust up, and there's a bunch of quail in the air, and my brother and I were side by side, so in that moment, we pivot away from each other, because we want to shoot quail, not each other. So we pivot away, and as I'm pivoting, my right shin goes into a thorn bush, And I got a thorn in my shin that I could not get out. So when we got back, I went to my doctor and he tried to excise it. And he cut and cut and dug and dug and he could not find the thorn. And then lo and behold, three months later, that thorn was just sticking out of my shin. And I reached down and I pulled it out. But you can bet 
that for those three months, my life was painful. That's the point of Paul's metaphor here that he's using because a thorn makes life painful. We don't know specifically what the actual thorn was for Paul. Could have been his poor eyesight. He mentions that in Galatians chapter three and chapter six. Or it could have been some other physical disability that Paul had. Or it might have been another person, one that was constantly opposed to him. Like maybe one of the ringleaders of these false teachers in Corinth. And every time Paul stood up to preach, maybe that guy was in the back of the room heckling Paul. See, his thorn could have also been about a person who was opposed to him. But we don't know for sure because the text is not explicit about it. But what we do know is that it was so bad that Paul describes it as a messenger from Satan in verse seven. And in that regard, Paul's experience here is very similar to Job's story in the Old Testament. And just like with Job, Satan was permitted by God to afflict Paul with this thorn that brought about suffering in his life. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it still happens today. See, for both Job and Paul and for every child of God, Satan may be the immediate cause of our suffering, but the sovereign God of the universe is the ultimate cause of our suffering. And if you've never thought about that before, hang on to that thought because we'll talk about it more in the second question. Paul experiences this thorn as a messenger from Satan. And it was so difficult. He describes it as something sent to harass me. The, the old King James says to buffet me. The original Greek word here describes a, a, a strike of a fist. That, that this affliction was a painful blow to Paul. So this is not describing one of life's many inconveniences. No, this is an ongoing deep experience of suffering. And it was painful to Paul. And I know some of you are still thinking, yeah, but what was it? <laughs> Again, we don't know for certain. But the incredible thing about God inspiring Paul to label his suffering as a thorn and not give us any more detail than that is so that you and I can apply this to a variety of trials in our own life. What did Paul receive? A thorn. A painful, ongoing affliction that was from Satan sent to harass him. But why did Paul receive that? Question number two, why did Paul receive it? Look in verse seven. It's interesting that, that Paul actually tells us the why in verse seven before he tells us the what. Jump back to the beginning of verse seven. And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me. Now, how in the world could the apostle Paul become conceited? Well, think about it. If you or I had had this tremendous experience of this vision that Paul had, we too would be tempted to boast about it and become prideful that God gave that to us. Prosperity preachers do this all the time. They're always bragging about their recent visions or revelations that they think they got from God. But God in his infinite wisdom here knew that pride would stunt Paul's spiritual growth and mess up the effectiveness of his ministry. So to avoid that, Paul received the thorn. It's why this difficulty came into his life. 
And he reiterates the same thing at the end of verse seven, to keep me from becoming conceited. Have you ever known or been around someone who's conceited? What does a conceited person always think about the most? Themselves, that's right. They're self-absorbed and everything's always about them. But Paul comments here twice that God's purpose for the thorn was to keep him from being that. I'll say it again. Satan was the immediate cause of Paul's suffering, but the sovereign God of the universe is the ultimate cause of Paul's suffering. See, Satan has absolutely no power except that which God allows. And that means Satan's evil schemes against Paul and against you and against me, they can be made to serve God's purposes. So as God allows suffering to come into our lives and teach us to depend upon him, Satan's goal is to tempt us to give up and not depend on God. But Paul recognized that God cared so deeply about him that he protected Paul from his own natural ability to act like a prideful jerk. Did you know you also have that same natural ability to act like a prideful jerk? So do I. And if you've never thought about it before, ask your spouse. She might be really good at it. See, for all who are in Christ Jesus, this is what God does. He allows suffering and trials so that we might not become conceited and prideful. Friends, it's the kindness of God that does that for us. The bottom line here is that God allowed Satan to give Paul a thorn to keep Paul from sinning. And there's a larger principle in that for us to remember that in this life, there's something way more dangerous than affliction and suffering, and that's sinning. There's something way more deadly to us than physical sickness or even opposition with another person, and that's our sin. See, a person who for the moment is in great health, yet they're rebelling against God, that person is a lot worse off than a person who's suffering but is submitting to Christ. So again, why does God allow suffering? To keep us, his people, from sinning. So what was Paul's request of God? Question three on your outline. What was Paul's request in light of this? Verse eight, look at it with me in your Bible. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. This is Paul's request. And the it here is the thorn, the suffering. Paul prays, God, take this thorn away. But Paul doesn't deny or ignore the hardship. And he didn't curse God because of the hardship either. He also didn't stop serving God because of the suffering. Sadly, over the 30 plus years I've been in ministry, I've seen more than a few professing Christians decide they're gonna tap out when trials come. They quit serving, they quit coming, and eventually they give up on the faith altogether. Brothers and sisters, a season of suffering is not a time to tap out. It's a time
time to persevere. And as we persevere, it's okay to plead with God to take the affliction away, to remove the thorn. We're safe to ask that, just like Paul did. Because God is the only one who can remove our afflictions. See, what suffering does is it drives us to our knees because it is orchestrated by the Lord to cause us to depend upon him more. Some of you know that my youngest son lives with a neurological disorder. And my wife and I have prayed for 15 plus years for God to take that away and heal our son's disability. But God has not done that. Not yet. So we have a choice. We can despair. We can become bitter. We can tap out. Or we can continue to trust in the one who's sovereign over all things, including neurological disorders. That's the whole point of suffering for a Christian, that we might trust God all the more in the midst of our affliction. Paul's request was, take it away, Lord. And he was not wrong to ask that. But what was God's answer? Question four. What was God's answer? Look at verse nine in your Bibles. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So let me ask you a question. Was God's answer to Paul yes or no? What do you think? No, that's correct. God's answer to Paul's specific request of removing the thorn was no. So think about that. God said no to the temporary relief of Paul's suffering. Why? Well, because instead of removing his temporary suffering, God added something into the mix of Paul's life. And that something was his permanent grace in salvation. God didn't give temporary relief. He gave permanent grace. See, when God saved Paul on the road to Damascus, God's grace was sufficient right then and there in that moment to save Paul. But now, approaching almost two decades later in Paul's life, that grace is still sufficient for Paul, as it is for all whom God has saved in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul begged three times to take the suffering away, no doubt about that. He asked for a different option. And this is very similar to what Jesus faced in Matthew 26 when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that prayer, Jesus is asking the Father for plan B, to not go to the cross, if at all possible. And God's answer to Jesus was no, we're sticking with plan A. It's the same answer that, Paul, that God gave Paul. It's the same answer that God has given my wife and I over the years. And it's the same answer God has given many of you over the years in your suffering as you prayed for healing or deliverance or for your circumstances to change. And his answer has been no. And as a result of that no, not only has life been more than we expected, but it's more than we can handle on our own. And that's precisely the point. For all who follow Christ, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That means God's grace is plentiful. 
It's more than enough to provide for us. God's grace never runs out. It sustains us and it strengthens us and it causes us to persevere in ways that you and I never thought we could. And thus, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. See, as people, our problem is we're constantly looking for man-centered causes of suffering. Almost every time we do this. Who did this? What caused this? What did I do to deserve this? We look for the man-centered cause of suffering. When what we ought to do is what the Bible commands us to do in Philippians 4, 6, and that is in everything and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's what Paul did here. He didn't look for a man-centered cause to blame for his suffering, but he made his request known to God. And yet, when he got God's answer, when he got the no from God, he focused on God's all-sufficient grace. And as we continue to trust in his grace, his power is being made perfect in our weaknesses. If you're in Christ Jesus today, whatever suffering you think might push you over the edge, God's grace is sufficient for you. And his power, not yours, his power is being made perfect in your weaknesses. God gave Paul an amazing answer to this question and that answer still holds true today, praise God. But then, what was Paul's response to God's answer? Question five. What was Paul's response to God's answer? Stay in verse nine. Look at the middle of verse nine. He says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, this is actually what resilience looks like in the life of a Christian. So if we're interested in being a resilient Christian, verse nine here might be a great verse for us to memorize. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ might rest upon me. He's still boasting, but what is he now boasting in? Not himself, not all that he must do to overcome his thorn. No, instead he's boasting about his own weaknesses, his own inability to overcome his thorn. And that's so counterintuitive to the way the natural mind works. But that kind of response draws attention to the power of Christ in our life. See, Paul had learned over time that our boast is not in ourselves because when we persevere, we don't do it because of ourselves. We do it through the one who strengthens us. So Paul's response here in verse nine is not some one-time thing for a Christian. No, no, it is part of our growth in Christ, as it was for Paul. See, one of the things you and I should notice as we read the Bible, including our passage today, is the connection between suffering and spiritual growth. God does not grow us up spiritually without suffering, friends. We'll say that again. God does not grow us up spiritually without suffering. Paul says he, Paul doesn't say that he will boast of his weaknesses. He says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That's growth. He's just repetitively asked God to take his suffering away and remove the thorn. But he's concluded that for the time being, it's not the will of God for that thorn to be removed. So instead, what is he gonna do? 
he's going to boast all the more gladly about his weaknesses. You know, it's kind of funny in church life that when a prayer request gets answered with a yes by God, we get all excited about that. And we, we boast about what God has done in that situation. And we're right to do that. However, did you realize that we can boast more gladly when God answers a prayer request, no or not yet? Why is that? Because it's in those moments when we get a no from God. That is precisely the time when he is growing us in our faith. In Isaiah 45, the Bible uses a metaphor to describe our relationship with God, that he's the potter and we're the clay. And the prophet says on behalf of God in verse nine, woe to him who quarrels with his maker. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Friends, that's a rhetorical question with an answer of no. The clay does not determine what the potter makes. And God does not grow us up spiritually without suffering. And our suffering is God simply shaping and molding us into the image of his son. Just like a potter molds the clay. Paul's response to God his answer here is to submit to that molding. Will you do that? Will I? And then finally, in all of this, last question. What was Paul's conclusion? What did he conclude? Look at it in verse 10. He says, I am what, church? Content. I'm content. Paul was content in trusting in God's sovereignty about his affliction. Because God's sovereignty reigns over everything, whether we like what's going on or not. And that includes wars and the economy and marital conflict and mass shootings, personal strife, wayward children, disability, a job loss, and even the death of a loved one. In every difficulty that might come our way, our God is sovereign. So for the Christian, those particular circumstances don't dictate our contentment, do they? Our contentment is about trusting in the grace of God regardless of our circumstances. So how you and I respond to our suffering is far more important than the specifics of what we're going through. And Paul's conclusion here is, I am content. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That last little phrase there is what's called a paradox. And there's a bunch of them in scripture. But a paradox is two things that cannot be true at the same time, but actually are true at the same time. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How in the world can those two things be true at the same time? Only through Jesus Christ. That's how. See, Paul didn't enjoy his suffering, but he certainly rejoiced that his suffering revealed the power of Christ in his life. He learned that no matter what the physical affliction was that came about, no matter how hard his enemies tried to persecute him, he had no justifiable reason to be miserable in his sufferings because he knew Jesus. For the sake of Christ, he says, I am content. Back in April, um, I officiated the funeral. 
here at our church of a seven-year-old boy. And the mom and dad and older brother sat right down there on that front row. The young man had battled um, health problems since birth. And the family was actually, at the time, relocating to a northern state. So on that particular day, as dad was driving the moving van with all the furniture in it, and as mom was driving the car with the kids in it, their youngest child had an episode in the back seat. And not too soon after that, they had to find the nearest hospital. And not too soon after that, the boy had to be care flighted to another hospital. And he didn't make it. And he passed away. So since they had a lot of extended family down here in Southwest Florida, including some that are members of our church, they decided to have the funeral here. And during my message, I read a quote from the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said this, when the Lord takes a child, there is one less cord to fasten you to this world and another band to draw you towards heaven. There was a tangible sorrow in this room on that day. I don't know how else to describe it. But the funeral ended Everybody went over to Fellowship Hall and we all ate. And eventually the family, now just three of them, finished their move to their new home in another state. And I had emailed with the mom just to try to encourage them and and recommend a good church for them that was in their area that they had just moved to. And that was six months ago. (laughs) But this past week, I got a call from one of our church members here. And that church member is a part of the extended family of the seven-year-old boy who passed away. And he told me that the father and the older brother had recently come to faith in Christ and had been baptized in the new church that they are a part of. Suffering is a reason to rejoice, friends. Because in our suffering, the power of Christ is always at work. And that didn't make any sense to a family that lost a child six months ago. And I bet they still don't have all their questions answered as to why when they prayed that their son might live, that God said no. But when God saves a sinner, he changes the way we think. And it is a radical shift in our thinking to embrace suffering as part of his providential work in our lives. Suffering is a reason to Rejoice, because in our suffering, the power of Christ is at work. That's the gist of our passage today. So we can boast about our weaknesses, brothers and sisters. We can be content in our hardship. And when we are weak, then we're strong. In a moment, we're gonna sing our final song, and there will be lots of different ways that each of us will respond God's word today, but if in your response you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, we'd love to do that with you. Uh, Myself and others will be hanging around at the end of the service. And if you've never turned from your sin and by faith trusted in Christ to save you, 
we'd love to have that conversation with you as well. Because if that's you, God may be just using your suffering right now to get your attention and to draw you to himself. Because there's a greater affliction that's coming for you if you're outside of Christ. And that's the wrath of God on judgment day against your sin. And only Jesus Christ can save you from that affliction.